I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. G-A-L D E-M-M-G-A-L-D-E-M. This song is good. Hello and welcome to Galdem's first ever podcast. Inspired by our book, I Will Not Be Erased, our stories about growing up as people of colour. My name's Liv, I'm Galdem's founder. And for those of you who don't know, Galdem is an award-winning media company committed to platforming the voices, perspectives and creative work of women and non-binary people of colour. Hello, I'm Charlie. I'm the head of editorial at Galdem and I'll be co-hosting our podcast with Liv. We're super excited to be starting our journey with you. Each week we'll invite a guest to respond to old diary entries, letters or text messages from their younger selves. The point is to nurture important discussions about growing up. You can find Growing Up with Galdem on Apple Podcasts, the Acast app, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome Welcome to our podcast, Growing Up with Galdem. Before we begin the interview this week, we just want to make you aware that this podcast contains racist language. So if that is something that will affect you, please be conscious of that or maybe skip out on this one. We're really excited this week to be joined by Diane Parrish, who is an actor who studied at RADA, after which she worked mainly in the theatre. And you'll also certainly recognise her face from a range of popular television roles, including in Lovejoy, The Bill and in EastEnders. She's also received the Royal Television Society's Best Actress Award in 2001 as the first black actor ever to win a major RTS award for her role in Baby Father. After an earlier role in EastEnders, she returned again in May 2006, this time playing the much-loved Denise Fox. She departed from the soap opera temporarily in Jan 2008 in order to give birth to her daughter, returning again in June 2008. She's also the auntie of our soon-to-be CEO, Marielle Richards, and we are really, really excited to have you on the show, Denise, so welcome. 
I'm very, I'm very happy to be here with you, ladies. And as you say, it's an honour. I'm very proud of my niece doing great things. And her sister, who has also joined you to do some things, hasn't she? I love Coral. Amazing. I love her and I love her love of bugs as well. <laughs> you know, I'm not so fond of her. <laughs> I'm not who I am of her, but yes. So, yeah, to kick us off, we we obviously, you know, this podcast is about growing up and um people's sort of growth in general and I think for for a lot of people this period of time has been weird and wonderful and I just wondered how lockdown has been for you what you've learned about yourself what advice you might want to pass on to others yeah I don't think I could advise anybody I've been (laughs) a mess mine was different I I um, embarked on a building project an extension just before uh it, it happened but you know also I'd run into some calamity before that you know having to move some other builders along just as we started lockdown kicked in so I found myself throughout the lockdown without a kitchen running water downstairs anywhere to wash clothes and cook so I'm watching tv and people are knocking up cakes and scones and you know and people are on group chat showing oh look I just made this big Dutch pot of food and look what I'm and I'm I'm sort of like piercing three times and you know putting in for seven minutes sort of microwave meals so I sort of was going through a kind of angry phase of why have I been left in this situation but then again saying to myself first world problems it was a real test for me because as it was for everybody it was a test in terms of you know what was happening to the world and the pandemic and um, and then Black Lives Matter and everything. So there were a lot of tests. But then as a family, we were locked, not just down, but together in a very confined space. So it, it was a very testing time for me, I think. I mean, it wasn't the worst thing that could have happened. None, nobody got ill, thank God. Nobody in my family. I was separated from my mum, which was hard. Um, first time ever. But I don't think I coped well at all. I don't think I did. I think it was emotionally quite hard for me, if I'm honest. And, and there's no point being here if I'm not honest. Um, so I, you know, I would have said, you know, I, I read and I jogged and I, but that never happened. I sat on the couch and felt sorry for myself <laughs> and watched, you know, normal people and things like that. Yeah. I know. I think it's really important that we're all honest because I think, Going into this, it kind of became quite like a glamorised idea that everyone would go into it, baking all these amazing things and working on all these books and projects and it would just be so great for your mental health. And da, da. And we that was the pressure, wasn't it? That was the pressure. You have to have a project. And I keep thinking, what's my project? And, and there, was, there was nothing. I couldn't think of a single thing I could do because my house was just a building site every day was was a challenge I was just trying to make sure that my children were doing their work they weren't you know a lot of the time you know there were people saying oh no we've all sat around the table and you know Charlie's doing his maths and Amy doing her science and, and it's all going very well for other people I don't believe that it's a bit like those same people that told you that their children sleep through the night uh, <laughs> they're they're lying but my, I've got teenagers, and so it was scary because I've got one who's doing her GCSEs this year. I've just started secondary school, and I was panicking every day. I woke up and I thought they're not doing enough. They're, they're not. They're losing it. And every day that I was going, I felt like they were losing more and more. Not just their childhood, their energy. They were becoming more lethargic. Yeah, it wasn't a, a calm, relaxing time. No, <laughs> that, that sounds very stressful. Was was um your child okay in terms of their GCSEs in the end? No, she hasn't taken them yet. So she's in year 11 this year now, September. So she goes into uh, year 11 and she missed a huge amount. You know, that's seven months. 
of out of school where you think how much time you would spend with your teacher on doing your course in every subject for seven months um it's a hell of, and, and, and somebody at my workplace said it they said this no child has been out of school this long even during the war you know there's been some form of education for children in this country yeah it's it's, it's been tough but I've got to sort of try and get them to catch up and as they can but not feel the pressure of you know there's some kind of failure because you know I felt those pressures for different reasons at their age and um and felt like I I had a sort of academic ladder and a step that I had to climb and if I didn't attain that no of course and the other question I wanted to ask you about this period was how has acting work been or have you been doing any at all or was it completely just cancelled off the cards no, the industry, I mean, I know maybe one or two people who are fortunate enough to be able to do voiceover work where it was engineered for them to be able to be in a safe environment, but everything was shut down the same as it was for the rest of the country. The one thing that, that made the job I'm involved in unique is that we were able to say when we go back to work. And there was, I mean, unless you're in something called a continuing drama, which is what soaps are, you're not able to say that. So there were people who were on projects that were due to start shooting a single drama, for instance, something like, and if you recently saw Anthony, things that were already shot were going out, but things that were about to go into production or mid-production stood still. So we were in a fortunate position where we knew we were going back to a workplace and people working in the West End, people working in any regional or, or fringe theatre or any production, didn't have the ability to say that and they still don't and we still don't have an end in sight for when the arts are going to recover pay the rent on their premises things like that and so it's quite sad and um yeah I didn't do anything because I basically was in a comfortable enough position to know that I had to get ready to start back work again in July Mm -mm -mm. in terms of like those you know, the initial period of lockdown being really difficult and kind of having to adjust to all of these things and thinking about your children, like what bits of joy have you been able to find? Was that as simple as, like you said, watching normal people? Uh, yeah, so yeah, there was that 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 day and a half that I whizzed through it all, that uh, it was something simple as that. And I don't know if it was lockdown, was it? I may destroy you. I'm, you know, there were th- brilliant bits of television on. And, and you know for a long time you complain oh I don't have time to watch television I don't have time to you know and people say oh have you watched this I say I'm not I can't box it my life I can't do it I, uh, where do people find the time suddenly I was given all the time in the world so I enjoyed that I did have some moments where sort of getting to know my my eldest daughter you know and teenagers are difficult teenagers are tough and there were some difficult times she was going through that allowed me to sort of uh, get to know and find a different way to be her mum rather than the mum that that sort of says this is what you do sort of like you know bring it dial it back a little bit and go okay I I, I do that old Caribbean thing of going you know I'm not your friend <laughs> <laughs> if you want friend friend is out there but then sometimes you just do need to be a buddy you do need to be you know they kind of want you to be a best friend especially when they're going through a certain right passage to do with you know boys and and girls and things like that and girls can be tricky and stuff 
And, and then I had a bit of a revelation with my youngest daughter when um, George Floyd happened. And I had a moment with her where she'd came to me and said that she had had to come back at a few of her friends who were saying that, you know, the typical, all, well, all lives matter and all that. We broke it down. <laughs> yes. And then we had a conversation about it and I thought, I remember, you know, bringing up Marielle and Coral again and my nephew, Damani, not to leave them out. You know, I sit with them when they were around this age, maybe older, and think, oh, God, I hope my children are like that and they, they think for themselves, <laughs> you know. And uh, there was a bit of a sigh of relief. But also I was really proud uh, that they, I, I didn't have to drill them. They just, they came with that together for themselves. And my eldest daughter as well, she's, got into a little bit of a debate on, I don't know if it's Snapchat or whatever, about, you know, what is racism and can black people be racist? And she's got into a bit of a heated thing and blocked. We've all been there, a few people, <laughs> as a result. You know what the thing is, is that you you know that there's going to come a time with your kids that when are my kids going to find out what racism is? I mean, firsthand. When, and that's going to hurt so badly because, you know, up until then, everything's, you know, everything's lovely and fluffy and everything like that. You might sort of bring little things into their world. But the day that they realise that the world will not treat them the same and that they have to maybe adopt a different way of thinking, and that's part of their rite of passage. It was a beautiful thing getting to know my daughters and the three of us sort of getting to know each other. There were cat fights and all sorts of <laughs> That's beautiful. I'm often surprised as well by my, I've got a little sister who's 14 and we've got a 12 year age gap. And like the, the knowledge that she has comparatively to, to be honest, even to what I have, I don't necessarily have to, uh, yeah, I teach her things and we speak about things, but she knows about a lot of this stuff already and she switched on. And the same thing, you know, she'll be calling out her friends at school. She'll be talking to me about this problematic white girl who like always does things but when she's called out she'll cry and because she cries that deflects all blame and she's all of this stuff like and she's she's seeing it for what it is so I think yes yeah, it must have been really beautiful to have that moment or realization with your kids where you're like you know they just get it they're on it it's a bittersweet one because you know we shouldn't have to you know it's obvious but we shouldn't have to guide our kids through this mess still in the way that we have to. We want to teach our kids joy in the way that everybody teaches their kids joy. So there isn't much joy in them having to come to a realisation as they had to during the George Floyd incident and stuff, which I think is the most powerful incident. I mean, obviously have been others and still are more. But I just think in recent times and with the, the weight of importance it's carried, it's not the ideal way for your kids to connect with their identity and their blackness trauma with yeah of course of course well thank you so much for sharing that um in terms of what's been going on in in your world and in your life during this time we would love for you to read a section of the extract that you shared with us but i'll start reading miss mckinton took the cutting her movement slow and cautious she read it under her breath, glancing at Dawn after each sentence until she had finished. Oh, miss, Dawn drawled, almost laughing at the way she was succeeding in humiliating the teacher. I wanted the whole class to hear. It has got something to do with sociology. Now I can't do a Scottish accent in my head, there was one. Now Dawn, Miss McClinton said in an attempt at raising her voice, that's quite enough. 
Dawn tilted her dark head. Oh, I am sorry. I forgot your family live in South Africa. Do they have black servants too? Miss Hinton was, as the saying goes, saved by the bell, the lunch bell. And surprisingly, no one in the class budged an inch. They were all intent on hearing the rest of McHinton and Dawn's argument. You are dismissed, Miss McHinton said stiffly, and Dawn Halls will stay behind. The class dismissed themselves noisily. Their scraping stilettos and blakey heels did well to disguise their rude cursing and comments. Just who do you think you are, McKinton bellowed. Dawn gave her a nasty look and sucked her teeth. What you try and make others think you are, she answered sceptically. Obviously didn't know what that word meant. Miss McKinton stretched her neck muscles and tightened her lips to a strawberry shape. Out! You will be hearing from the headmaster before lunch. But she didn't. Neither did she hear from him before school ended. So free... And half satisfied, Dawn, along with Carol, searched for further prey. Oi, Stephanie, Dawn yelled. Her eyes were fixed on the medium-complexion girl ahead of her. She was pretty, far too pretty for Dawn's liking. Tall, around five foot four, but no match for the broad and hefty Dawn. What do you want? Stephanie's voice was burred with contempt for the obnoxious girl. You? Who do you think, Bounty? spat Dawn, only inches from Stephanie's face. Bounty, Carol queried from behind Dawn. That's right, brown outside, white inside. Carol laughed a hoarse laugh and patted Dawn on the back. Yeah, I, I was quite enthralled when I was reading it earlier today, to be honest. I can't believe that you were 13. I think it's really good. 13-year-old me would be thrilled. So I was in, well, I don't know what you'd call it, year eight, but it would be second... Well, I was either second or third year at secondary school. And uh, I got glandular fever, from, probably from kissing a boy. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so I got glandular fever and the doctor hadn't noticed what it was and it got really bad and then I got a bit jaundiced and they put me in Coppitswood Hospital in an isolated ward. And it was the most boring thing. So I had glass windows around me. There was a girl next to me who had, I think, something like hepatitis or something. And I sort of talked to her, but then at some point they moved her on and it was just me in this glass room. And there was this really nice nurse, red hair, and she really was nice to me and she'd come in and check on me every day. And I just decided that I would start writing. And I don't know why I started writing it, but I started writing a book while I was in there because there was nothing else to do. I'd read magazines and there was no TV, so I started writing it. And every day this red-haired nurse would come in, and I dedicated a character to her, actually, in that book, come in and say, oh, have you read another chapter? Oh, God, I can't wait to read some more. And so it would inspire me, and I'd write a little bit more and a little bit more, thinking, oh, she likes it. My mum would come in and go, hmm, that's all right, but I don't know about that. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, think, I don't need you because I'm not the nurse, and she's really nice to me. But, uh, but yeah, it was something that I wrote, and, and um, I think it was a lot of stuff that was coming out of me, that there was a kind of other me that I didn't really show a lot of that I put into an alter ego in, in, a, in characters in, in my writing. Um, I'd written before that, no, after that, sorry, that would have been after that. Then I wrote uh, something for my CSE. It was called CSE before that was called GCSE. My CSE drama, I wrote... Um, 
a parody of Romeo and Juliet and got all the kids and mates at school to play different parts and got extra points for my, my CSE. But, um, yeah, I sort of advanced myself as a writer for a bit, but I just, uh, it was just cathartic. It was just something I was just getting out of myself. Yeah. So from the extract you just read us, which of those characters did you kind of pour a bit of yourself into, would you say? I think the character that I thought I was, um, and in some respects, was the, the main character, Stephanie, in terms of being outside of the people who were accepted in particular groups. But I wasn't particularly anybody. I think there were aspects of, of me in lots of different things that I wrote about different uh, girls in that. I didn't specifically see myself in anybody in particular, but in her, I was able to get out that thing of, I think that for, for a while, I just didn't feel like I fit the, the archetypal black mould. Um, when, I, when I was younger, I didn't sound black. My mum was a teacher. So at home, there wasn't that uh, emphasis on, on on particular cultural themes of being Caribbean black. There wasn't so much of that. My mum, when she was growing up back in the Caribbean, they used to call my grandmother Teacher Emma. Why? Because she had books on a shelf. So she was called Teacher Emma. Um, that's how, you know, just as basic as that it was. And so my mum was a teacher and I don't know, I felt kind of embarrassed at the kind of middle classness of it, my mum being a teacher. And I did try a, a little bit to be less elevated. I don't know how to describe it, but I did feel on reflection a little bit embarrassed and fraudulent. And, and and I think that came out in some of the stuff that I was writing, especially when looking back on it. I find it actually really difficult to read it because um, it, it shows my flaws at the time. It shows uh, the, the, the beginnings of somebody that was um, struggling with who she was a little bit. I think that's a very, um, it's, I guess it's not an uncommon experience, that notion of like fitting in and and feeling like perhaps you don't because of the things that we're socialised to believe are, are or should be equated with this thing, with blackness or, or whatever that is. And I think, you know, we, in our in our collection of essays that we published last year, Nye Ella, our lifestyle editor, wrote a piece about being like an alternative black girl and the things that she was into and that kind of thing of being a bounty and like all of that. I was into new romantic music. I liked Duran Duran and I liked Japan and, um, and nobody got that. And my and then a friend, she's still my friend now. I met at sixteen at, at Further Education College. It was her, me, and our friend Anthony, who were the only people that were into Prince. And it, it weren't cool to like Prince, you know, back in the day when Prince was Prince. It weren't cool, and you know, black people really had a little bit of a, a, a little bit of an eyebrow up about Prince. You know what I mean? And uh, but we love Prince. Um, everybody loves Prince now. But but it was it was made yeah but the three of us we just love Prince and and I, I was into like you're saying about alternative black and and, and you got on saying the eighties it was very very different you know black was one thing if you didn't know how to how to dance at a blues if you didn't know how to whine if you didn't you know what I mean if you didn't know how to cook curry goat if you didn't do you know what I mean if there's certain things you, know, you, you get side eye a little bit yeah. 
I think that, yeah, as as I've said, those things, those notions of blackness are so pervasive. And I think I've had literally everything you just said there. I, I can relate to conversations I still have with young young black women today. And I think, you know, it's so sad. And my theory nowadays, I've spoken to a few people about this, is that there is actually more people, more black people in the UK who feel like they don't fit into the mould of blackness and, and sort of grow up feeling this sort of sense of, like, not being black enough than, like, we realise that, like, actually, like, we might even be a slim majority, people who who, who struggle with those feelings, because it's impossible for, for anyone to fit into such a narrow definition of what blackness entails or what it is. Some of, some of what we're holding on to is the stuff that we, we needed as armoury, and uh, we're, we're not allowing ourselves to develop with our own identities and our own passions and our own feelings and whatever it is we want to do. We can't lock ourselves down, you know, carrying a theme of lockdown. Being black, for me, is being awake, is being vocal, is being in the moment and checking the problem when the problem happens rather than wearing the problem and, 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 and taking it into every scenario. I feel that it takes a lot of work and a lot of time, and I'm 50 now, and it takes a lot of time to, to find your place of belonging because that's in you, you know, and, and that isn't out there with anybody and nobody gifts it to you. You gift it to yourself. And people deal with the you or they don't deal with the you. You don't owe anybody a version of you. You just got to be, you know, and we're all still working on it. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not I'm, you're never a finished product. Never. You know what I mean? I've been a Dalai Lama or, you know, nobody is a finished product. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
That's a beautiful sentiment. Yeah, of course not. And I think we have to, yeah, I agree. And I think we have to remember as well, like, how pervasive, like, I'm not just throwing around this this phrase, but, like, genuinely how pervasive white supremacy is, you know? Like, it's it's hard to exist in this country, in, in most countries in the world as a black person, um, uh, especially as a minority community as well. So, you know, we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves in terms of it taking a while to figure out who we are. And I love this idea of gifting yourself, you, you know. Yeah, I think that that's, that's so spot on. And it's something that I think... I'm certainly still working towards. Yeah, and and we we are, we are really hard on ourselves because we feel like we ought to be and we have to be hard on ourselves. And sometimes the one of the things that's really important is to is to make mistakes and to fail and to get it wrong and to embarrass yourself and to fall out with people and to make amends and all of those things build you, construct the human being that you will become when you feel feel the most complete that you will before you leave this mortal coil. You you are constantly a work in progress, you know, and um, you can only live in this moment. I try and um, adopt that thinking when parenting as well, you know, because with children it's very easy to hold something against them for longer than you do any other human being in your life because they disappoint you. So you, if they disappoint you, it, it disappoints you longer than it does a friend or, or a lover or anyone else. You know, your children, you can hold things for so long and then it makes them feel bad and then that affects who they're going to become. So, you know, there's so much yet to come as a young person. When I look back at the young person I was, it's fascinating. It's, it's such a good project you're doing because you bring something back up from who you were back then and you wish you could go back and talk to them and go, it's okay. <laughs> There's loads of questions we want to ask, but that is one of our key questions is, um, you know, on that, of looking back and, and, and saying something to 13-year-old Diane, like, what would you want to say to you in that moment? I'd say don't be embarrassed. I'd say don't think you're not good enough. Don't think you need to be beautiful. Don't think that beauty looks like that. I'd say like who you like. And don't like who you don't like. Don't try and and like people. Don't try and make it okay with people who don't like you. Because the strongest thing I've learned, and I think part of it is becoming an actor, and anybody who wants to be an actor, the biggest thing I would say to them is uh, you need to not care about being liked. You really do. Because... It's a critical. It, it's, it's, it's a game full of criticism, and and it's supposed to be. And if you can't handle the criticism from an audience, you can't handle the criticism in the process. When a director's giving you a note, when you're challenging yourself to think, mm, how can I push the boundaries and make this better? I'd go back and say, don't worry about what other people think, and don't worry about letting people know what you think. Yeah, that's great. I think it's funny you mention taking the note because that's something that we spoke to Michaela Cole about on the podcast as well. It must be like an acting phrase. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Take take the note from the director or from life. Um, But one thing I wanted to pick up on from what you just said about beauty, and I think you mentioned this in in your email to us um, about the podcast as well, 
um, was around colorism, and I wondered if that's what you were sort of referring to when you spoke about beauty. Well, not not necessarily with me. My mum was very like, you know, I see people on television. I like him. He's black and beautiful, and I love my mum. Loves his black black beauty. You know what I mean? She the books on our shelf, everything like that. She, my mum's, you know, she's very very. An educated woman, but she's also a very proud, strong black woman. So I didn't, I just didn't understand people who would say, I remember when a guy said to me once, I like a little cream in my coffee and, and, but they just blatantly say that, that they don't like. And when I was at school, black guys didn't fancy me at all. At all. They fancied girls who, of course, were mixed race or light skin. And that kind of made me have a problem <laughs> and stuff, but it didn't. It, it didn't. I, I, I've never had a problem with that. But it interested me that because there was the Dawn character was based on somebody and a particular thing that happened at a girl at my school who would have a major issue with any girl who was mixed race or light skinned. Major pick on them, bully them, you know, make them feel small. Really quite nasty. Would assume that somebody was that word. And uh, and back in, in, in the 80s, it was quite a novel thing. It's like, I think I've written it in that tone that it was a quite a novel, that you had to explain what a bounty was. And uh, that got banded around a lot for anybody who, if somebody had a good vocabulary, they were a bounty. If somebody was, you know, wearing smart clothes, they must be a bounty. You know, <laughs> that kind of pulling our, ourselves down, you know, stay down here. Don't get up, stay down here. But at the same time, that self-hatred had so many different forms, hating people with dark skin, hating people with light skin. There was just so much mess trying to work out our identity in this country that was spitting us back out every time we went back in, you know, blatantly. Like, the TV would do it. You'd put on the TV and people would, you know, say words like nignog and, you know, and darky and you just go, oh, did they say that? <laughs> okay. Because it was part of mainstream TV for people to take the mick, you'd be watching a game show on a Saturday night and somebody would take the mick out of somebody black and everyone would laugh, the studio audience would laugh, oh, I can laughter. So we started turning it in on ourselves a little bit before we started to organise our mick and make it into something that made sense for us and regain our identity. But the 80s was a bit of a mess, man. Mm. I'm interested. It sounds like, I mean, obviously this this extract, like you've, 13 and like such a brilliant writer um and it feels like there could have been like so many different avenues obviously your focus has been mainly um on acting but what do you think your younger self would think of where you are now would would she be thinking oh my god obviously you'd be doing this or no I didn't I, I you know and when it got to time to leave school I mean I was in a bit of a panic because you know my brothers both did very well um academically and the pressure was on because there's like six and seven years between me and them and then it was like oh god it's coming they're gonna find out I'm not very clever and um I didn't pay attention in classes I was a bit naughty and I didn't revise at all which is probably why I'm so hard on my daughters because I didn't revise at all and uh, somehow I scraped through with art and English language and uh, drama but everything else was just, just pointless um and maths, oh, my God. I just didn't have, I still don't have a brain for maths at all. And I, walk, I remember walking around the block twice 
before I went home with my results because I was scared to go home to my mum and tell her because, you know, she she had a child who could do that. That, 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 wasn't, that wasn't part of her game plan. But she always gave me the confidence to say that I could do what I wanted to do. Well, all of us, me and my brothers, both, she always gave me confidence and she'd be very critical with me. So if I came downstairs and I was in my room, I'd read Shakespeare out to myself. I'd read, you know, um, any play, any play. Uh, um, what's his name that wrote um, favourite New York writer? I've forgotten that. Um, but I'd read those parts out to myself and act them out in my room. And I come down and say, Mum, watch this. Act to go. She's going, mm. but you shouldn't make that fierce when you do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> She's very critical in all kinds of ways. She was critical, and she still is. She will say, "Oh, not that. but it prepared me." And uh, if I was to look back and think that I would be doing what I'm doing, I, as I do now, say that I, I was fortunate. I won't say lucky, because I believe I know what I'm doing. I believe I, I am, I'm skilled at what I do because I've worked hard to become skilled at what I do. It's not luck, it's not fortune, it's not being in the right place at the right time. A certain amount of it is. Uh, I've earned it. I've grafted, I've um, I've earned next to nothing a week and I've earned quite a lot a week, And but that's not why I do it. I've done it because it's what I want to get up for in the morning. And everyone's got to have something they want to get up for, you know. So... Yeah, my younger self, yeah, she, she didn't know what she was doing. I was speaking to the careers advisor. And I said, well, what have you enjoyed most at school? And I said, nothing, no, drama. He said, well, why don't you try a theatre and performing arts course, doing A-levels? And blah, blah. So I did that, and I went to Further Education College and did that, and I loved it. It was like, it was like fame, but in art <laughs> Love that. I rewatched fame the other day, actually. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Brilliant. I think it's the 40th anniversary, yeah. Is it? Wow. Yeah. Wow. I saw that in theatre, actually, when I was at school, and it was amazing. Yeah. Oh, Misha, was Misha Paris? I can't. It was, I was in primary school when I went to see it, so I can't even remember, but, yeah. I'm very young, you are, but, but yeah. But, um, <laughs> but uh, it, yeah, it was just great. And then a teacher who believed in me said to me to audition for RADA. And everything just fell into place one after the other, not because I had a plan, but because for some reason the universe put people in my path that believed in me. Um, I do a bit of mentoring with Rudolf Walker at work, and he has his own foundation. You go into schools and you talk to kids and they write their own piece whatever they want to write it about and they perform it's a 15 minute piece and they put it on at Stratford and I say to them that you know you you've got to have somebody that believes in you that says that you can do what you've got to do and but if if you haven't you be that person you be that person for yourself and believe in what it is you want to do but I don't know I just for some reason the right people came in my path and said, because I didn't think people like me went to RADA. I didn't think there were any black people there. I didn't think people that came from, you know, Edmonton went there. I Just people didn't, like me didn't go there as far as I'm concerned. So when I got in, crazy to me that I got in. Um, but then I went and I saw Adrian Lester and I saw Marianne Jean-Baptiste and Sophie Ocanado and all these people in there. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, 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 is, it is. It's cool. 
Thank you so much. This has been such a beautiful conversation. I feel like I've soaked in a lot, so we appreciate it. Oh, lovely, lovely talking to you. I'm so proud of you, ladies, man, and what you do. Oh, and uh, thank you. What hopefully one day my my daughters will, you know, be in there somewhere coming to see you. And thank you so much, ladies, and um, hopefully see you soon. See you soon. Thank you so much. See you later. Bye. I love that. And I felt like I could have listened to her speak all day. Yeah, that was kind of like my dream um, extract as well. Something that yeah. she wrote at such a like significant time in her in her teenage years and having glandular fever and being in hospital and that nurse, the story of the nurse, the redheaded nurse who was encouraging her to do it. Um, yeah. I think that's really Chapter great. by chapter. Beautiful, beautiful. I mean, yeah, she said it all really, didn't she? She said it all. And yeah, I guess the conversation that probably led it was around blackness. And, you know, I, I, I know from having read that these ideas of what does and doesn't constitute being black in this country have, have been pervasive for years. But I guess it's rare that I, or that we get to talk to a slightly older black person about that type of um, dialogue that was happening in schools. Yeah, I mean, it's been happening. The The word might have evolved from, uh, for example, bounty to Oreo. But, bounty to Oreo. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. it's still a very real thing. And I think, yeah, absolutely, to have that, you know, opportunity to hear from her as someone who is, like, very secure in herself and her beauty in that sense and was was nurtured. And it's, you know, it's always the external. It's always the external, isn't it? That's that, Those are the things that tell us who we are, what we are, what we should look like. But, yeah, I think... Um, yeah, I've taken a lot away from that. And I think her, you know, one of the biggest things for me from what she said was really about having that kind of inner resolve um, and that being the most important thing that will carry you through and allow you to have a really happy and fruitful um, life, whatever it is that you may choose to do. So yeah, I loved it. This has been Growing Up With Galdem with me, Liv, and the incredible Charlie Brinkhurst Cuff. You can find out more about Galdem on our website, gal-dem.com. Um, we have a membership model where you get lots of access to amazing content and events included, merchandise, all the good stuff. And you also will help us to continue our work in transforming the media landscape and sustaining as an independent platform. So please do head to galdem.com to find out more. Bye. This has been an II Studios production. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll tune into the next one. You can find Growing Up With Galdem on Apple Podcasts, the Acast app, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a review, rate us and subscribe. It really helps the show. And if you'd like to find out more about Galdem, you can head over to our Instagram page at Galdemzine. That's G-A-L-D-E-M-Z-I-N-E. Or you can visit our website, which is G-A-L hyphen, which is important, D-E-M dot com. Galdem has a book which is out now. It's called I Will Not Be Erased, Our Stories About Growing Up as People of Colour. You can find it in all good bookstores or online. Thank you so much for listening. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.